Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Wayward Podcast, where the word paves the way. I am so glad that you could join me here today. My name is Jonathan Robinson. If this is your first time here, I welcome you, and I invite you to please hang out here a bit. And if you like what you hear, I hope uh, that you would subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're on the YouTube channel, I'd love it if you liked and subscribed to the page or the episode there. I hope the things that you listen to here today will be of great insight and encouragement. So welcome, welcome. And if you're, this is the, uh, if you're a returning listener, I want to also welcome you back. Thank you very much. Thank you for your support. I hope that you are encouraged by what you hear today. Um, we have been going through a Bible story series for a few weeks now, and this is going to be our fourth episode. And you know what? Today we finally get to dive into the actual creation story. Uh, what have we been doing up until now, you ask? Well, um, a lot of time has been spent uh, laying the uh, the groundwork, the theological groundwork for where the creation story goes, where the larger scriptural story will eventually go, and how we as followers may navigate our way through this story. And in the last three weeks, we have only covered Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through the first part of verse 3. So, not a lot, but it actually kind of covered a lot, I felt. But but still, uh, let me just read that passage again so that we're all caught up and kind of uh, ready to go. If you have your Bibles, I'm looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, uh, the first part of 3. And there it says, verse 1, When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos. And darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Verse 3, Then God said. And that's kind of like where we ended uh, in our last episode. And we have been exploring a lot of different things in those passages but in basic terms, the framework that we have established so far is, one, God's presence preceded creation. Two, the setting of the creation story is that of cosmic chaos or confusion or cosmic dysfunction. Three, God's presence swept over this cosmic dysfunction. Four, God's cosmic creating word spoke into the dysfunction to bring order to creation. And five, in this story, this creation story, creation means giving function. Okay. Now there is a lot more to it than that, but that's the general framework that I think that we have arrived at in our first three episodes here of this Bible story series. And so... Uh, those are kind of the highlights or the main points. Uh, I really encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episodes if you haven't already, because I think there is a lot of cool stuff that can be thought about and contemplated uh, uh, within these passages, even within these first like 
two and a half verses. I, I, I believe that there is so much content between the lines that uh, can be uh, um, just thought about and, uh, you know, wondered at. And it, it really kind of, you know, as, uh, as believers and as students of Scripture, we are invited to use our imagination when we enter into these texts. And I believe that there is so much in Scripture, you know, the, you know, the language of, and the poetry of the Psalms and the prophets and the, you know, the more prose of the, of the law and everything. And also here in the creation story, there's just so, so much that invites us to come in and use our imagination to wonder at what God is doing. And that wonder kind of uh, sets us on the road to worship. And so, yeah, if I really encourage you to go back and listen to those other episodes, if you haven't already. Um, but today, Today we are going to finally move forward into the specific functions that God brings about in creation. So now, um, before we do that, uh, if you have ever read through the Genesis 1 creation story, one of the structures that I'm sure that you have noticed is that the creation story is organized into a series of days, seven days to be exact. And I'm also sure that through the years you have heard of or have been a part of different conversations or debates over the exact nature of these seven days. Do these seven days uh, play out within a one-week period? Or are these seven days actually just periods distinctively spread out over time? Um, and this is where the different topics of young earth creationism, the Big Bang Theory, evolution, uh, this is where a lot of those topics are taken and um, mapped onto the scripture story here and inserted into the conversation. So if you have participated in those conversations or you still regu regularly participate in those conversations, that is, that is cool. That is totally fine because I think participating in those conversations displays a, uh, at the very least, a healthy desire or a desire to take the Bible seriously and so yeah, um, I think those conversations are a great way to kind of get into the text or to kind of uh, move around the text or kind of, you know, to kind of uh, have conversations that are parallel to the text, at least. Um, but having said all that, um, having said that, since my role and my goal here in this Bible story series is to specifically concentrate on clarifying the story of the Bible. I don't think this is really the time or the place to bring in those conversation topics. And one of the, one of the, one of the contextual observations about the Bible's creation story I'm relying on to make that conclusion is that such conversations and debates were not really a priority for either the author or the original audience of Genesis. 
a lot of these conversations and debates really kind of began to popularly emerge during the Renaissance and then later again in the 19th century and then <laughs> with much more vitriol in the 20th century. And while it's okay to debate and have those those modern conversations amongst ourselves, it is something of a misappropriation to take these modern conversations and insert them into the scripture story and how we study them. So um, as we go through these texts and explore their context, I'm going to just really try to focus on how the original author intended it to be read or how the original audience would have read it. So with that said, I'm going to treat the author's use of days as days. But will I will hold that gently and loosely enough to allow the rest of the context to inform the whatever might be meant by that idea of days. So with that said, let us now jump into the Bible's creation story. Um I already read to you earlier, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through the first part of 3. Now let's read verses 3 through 5. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. Okay, so here I want to make a statement real quick. Uh, while assembling this Bible story series that you are listening to right now, I have done, I have done so to the best of my own knowledge and my ability, and trying to use, trying to make sure all the work is is my own original work. But having said that, along the way, I have. Uh, you know, while trying to do research, I have really come to be really, uh, really deeply indebted to the, the studies and writings of Dr. John Walton, an Old Testament professor at Wheaton College. And he really focuses on um, ancient Near East studies and uh, uh, ancient literature of that, of those regions. And um, in some ways, um, I've, I've already kind of, some of the ideas that he puts forth, I already kind of had a, a kind of a basic understanding of a lot of those. But at the same time, his, uh, I would just recommend real quick, his book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, it's really, it's really cool to, to read. And uh, it has really kind of taken my own understanding of the creation story to several other levels. And so... A lot of what I will try to share here kind of stems from what I have already been learning from him. And so I just wanted to um, make sure I give him the credit for, for, for all, most of this. But still, I'm trying to, all of this, I'm trying to like uh, uh, have an original conversation with you guys. But um, the big enlightening point that he shares here in verse 5, where when God calls the light day, that's not what light is. Light can be descriptive of day, but light is not 
day. And and kind of similarly, darkness can be descriptive of night. But darkness is not night. What is more accurate, rather, is that light is the period of a day. And similarly, darkness denotes the period of a night. So Walton's suggestion is that we read verse 5 as if to say, God called the period of light day, and the period of darkness he called night. Now, since this point is established in verse 5, we must ask if it kind of makes sense going backwards to verse 4, and where it says in verse 4 that God separated the light from the darkness. Well, again, light cannot be separated from darkness. Light and dark are not materials that can be absolutely separated. There's always kind of a a fading or a blending or, you know, shadows. But if we use Walton's suggestion of periods of day or night, it makes much more sense as if to say in verse 4 that God separated the period of light from the period of darkness. And this framework of periods allows for such separations to exist transitionally, as in one period transitioning into another period. And again, we must ask if this continues to make sense, if we take it even further back to to verse 3. Does it make sense for the text to mean, Then God said, let there be a period of light, and there was a period of light. And Really, it it really does make sense because what it demonstrates is that what God is really creating in this verse is time. And this makes even more sense when we go back to the last line of verse 6, or rather go forward to verse 6, where it says, And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Why does evening come first here? Because up until now, there has only been darkness, or a primordial period of darkness. We see that in verse 2. So when God says in verse 3, let there be a period of light, God is infusing the primordial period of constant darkness with a brand new function. Time the period of darkness will now constantly interact and fluctuate with an alternate period, denoted by differing degrees of light. So what, so, so what does the function of time mean to this story? Well, if you look at the overall creation story in Genesis 1, there is a specific structure organizing the first six days into two sets of three days. The first three days are structured as days of forming, and the second set of three days are structured as days of filling. So on this first day of forming, the function that is formed is time. And what this formation of time does for creation is mark its beginning, or rather, it reveals the perception 
of creation's beginning. Remember that prior to this creation of time, verses 1 and 2 have already established that God already pre-existed and that his presence sovereignly abided over dysfunctional existence. But when God spoke into the cosmic dysfunction, the first piece of order and function to now take shape in the beginning is time. Time is the first domino to fall. Time is where what starts the clock. The clock starts now. So everything that follows and plays out in this scriptural story happens within the confines of time. Time kind of you can in, imagine it in your head like a parentheses symbol. Um, time is like the parentheses symbol that functions by holding all existence within its brackets. Time is like bookends. And so the creation of time forms the periodical area or realm or domain in which all things take place and unfold. So with that being said, uh, that, that, that framework, um, what does that framework mean? What would this first function of time mean to the original audience? who are reading this story or retelling this story. Um, as, an, as an invisible structure that seems to hold all things, time is also a structure that infiltrates all things. Time is a function that saturates all other functions. And in the famous passage in Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, the author there contemplates the bittersweet function of time. And you kind of remember the passage, I'm sure, or pieces of it. Uh, he writes that there is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every matter under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shine embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What benefit is there for the worker from that in which he labors? In verse 10, he writes, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of mankind with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts without the possibility that mankind will find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. And it's kind of a bittersweet uh, uh contemplation of how time works there, but it's like 
time is the function that gets into all other functions and even seems to drive or compel certain functions. And as as we can discern from the Ecclesiastes author's melancholy tone here, the function of time for all of its opportunities, potential opportunities, it can also induce quite the existential crisis. I hope he drives safe. <laughs> but... Uh, I don't know if you heard the truck out there. It was just driving by, but yeah, that was what that comment was. Anyways, yeah, uh, time, despite all of its potential opportunities, time is also something that can induce quite the existential crisis in our lives. And as a result, the function of time in and of itself can leave people with quite an absurdist worldview. But that was not the worldview of ancient Israel. Because they didn't view time as its own entity. Time belonged to God. In this passage, this creation passage, it reveals to them, to us, that time was God's creation. It is a function that emerges from out of God's mind. In this passage, it positions God, this Genesis passage, it positions God as the sovereign God who holds time. And the salvation story from Egypt that they were living in, that it was kind of giving them identity and, and narrative and purpose, that salvation story from Egypt, it reminds them of how their God stepped into the confines of time, which we call history, and sovereignly delivered them from what history said they could not escape. Time functions in all kinds of ways, but time is ultimately God's function. It functions according to what he wants to do with it. So trustfully and faithfully did the psalmist later write in Psalm 31, 15, My times are in your hand. So, my times are in your hand. That is a lesson that endures for us as well. And so, yeah, this is the point where we kind of ask ourselves, what do we, what can we learn from this lesson of time? And really, it would do us, it, it will do us so much good to look at God and worshipfully acknowledge that our times are in God's hands, that our times are not left to chance or to chaos. You might be familiar with the <clears throat> Excuse me. You might be familiar with the quote. Uh, I kind of occasionally think of it. It comes from um, Henry David Thoreau, but he he wrote that famous quote that the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And I think he wrote that at a time where uh, the worldviews, Western worldviews, were getting away from the idea of God as the. Uh, the sovereign of time. I think, and as a result, I think uh, that kind of, uh, this kind of worldview that he kind of discusses uh, 
that kind of worldview is what happens when we start to move away from God as sovereign. We we begin to live lives or our lives become permeated by quiet desperation. And I think a lot of that stems from the existential anxiety that comes from a view of time that is lorded and led by chaos. But if, like the psalmist, we can see that our times are in God's hands, then we will be able to confess with him in verse 14 that I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. And let me just kind of add this on, and this kind of, you know, is a bit, you know, in a way, this kind of uh, works as a nice little reference to our overall project here of uh, trying to summarize the scriptural story. But the other day I was reading the, uh, the very ending of Revelation, book of Revelation, and I read that uh, there's that verse in Revelation 22.10. It says, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. And my point in mentioning this is that just as the scriptural story in creation uh, starts with God's creation of time, the scriptural story will eventually conclude with the fulfillment of time, with God's fulfillment of time. And when I think of those two bookends, I kind of mentioned before how time in a way, you know, functions as a bookend. It must be, uh, uh, we we must... um, it must be asserted that if time works as functions as as uh, existence's bookends, then they are God's bookends. And I think, in a way, when I think of those two bookends, I think time can be and should be viewed as the function that exists to hold all that God desires to accomplish. Time is the existential container. God uses to bring all his goodness to pass. If time is a function, it is God's function to accomplish all that God desires to function together. I don't know if I said that right, but I think you know where I'm going with that. It's just the idea that time is the instrument God uses to accomplish his good purposes. And perhaps that can help us to view time, um, not as not as something that is getting away from us, or as something that is driving us to the cliff, but maybe it can help us to view time as the rhythm of God at work in this world, and the rhythm of God at work in creation, the rhythm of God at work in our lives, a rhythm that we can dance to with God throughout this gift called life, a rhythm that invites us to live lives, not of quiet desperation, but to live lives that are unhurried and unworried, a rhythm that moves our faith. Time is God's function that unfolds all other functions, and faith is how we waltz into and through all those functions and learn to live as a member of his creation. So, I hope that is 
helpful to you. I hope that is encouraging to you. Um, that is where we are going to conclude for today. Uh, that kind of concludes day one of our, uh, you know, just kind of looking at the functions that emerge from out of God's creating word. And so that'll be day one. Um, I hope that, uh, I hope you look forward to day two, uh, next week. I'm looking forward to it. I thank you for giving me your time today on this episode of the Wayward Podcast, where the word paves the way. This is my story. This is my song. Raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is